Here's Neymar now, Cavani is there. And Saint-Etienne has surely won it in the 89th minute. Calou for Cavano. Oh, what a strike. An absolute beauty for Florian Tobac. Kylian Mbappé wraps it up. Hello and welcome along to Le Bourgeois podcast. Coming up, Neymar is back and the Brazilian thrives in the role of pantomime villain. At the Parc des Princes, Lille scream, we're behind you after their win at Angers. And a couple of old ghosts come back to haunt Lyon at Amiens. Lots to talk about this week and uh, some very, very knowledgeable uh, guests on the panel sitting very, very close to me this week is, is Andy Scott. How are you, Andy? I'm good, Matt. Thank you very much. We are very close indeed, but it's uh, it's nice that way. Yeah, one or two microphone issues, but that's okay. We're, we're good old friends, uh, Andy Scott and myself. Robbie Thompson as well. He's a bit further away, but thank you for, for inviting us into your, into your wonderful flat as no, ever, more, Rob. More than welcome. One of the conditions is that I always have my own microphone. So good luck, boys. Thank you. Armel, another, another busy weekend for you. How are you, how are you doing? You're looking quite quite tanned not very well shaven but you're looking well <laughs> thanks yeah well i'm just gonna try and keep a straight face as you two try and avoid kissing all morning there'll be no kissing uh, this morning not on the podcast i can tell you afterwards probably not either let's let's start at the stade louis de because you know coming 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 in when i was planning for this podcast yesterday i was assuming we'll be talking about neymar and we will we'll be talking about psg but last night we witnessed an absolutely incredible game between two of france's france's biggest clubs monaco and marseille andy scott was the commentator for this one it's been yet for monaco it's one nil beautifully tucked away slimani the really clever ball in towards ben yeder will surely tuck it away the finish by Ben Yedder, but that was all about the pass from his strike partner, Slimani. Sonson's ball in, and Benedetto! There's a goal back from Marseille, there's another goal from the Argentine, Dario Benedetto. Lopez to Dimitri Payet, he might fancy a shot from the edge of the box here. Payet hits it! It's a glorious goal from Dimitri Payet, and Marseille from 2-0 down lead by three goals to two the question is how long does Leonardo Jardim get to turn things around here it could be 4-2 it is it's another goal for Benedetto Andy it finished 4-3 to Marseille Monaco were 2-0 up Marseille came back but tell us kind of what happened Ben Yedda got the first couple of goals Marseille came back with, with Benedetto and then we don't we don't know what happened it, it, it was 2-2 but but we didn't see because because our televisions in France cut out. Let me just get get in uh, nice and cosy next to you there, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. It was um, an incredible game. Um, we have to make the point that it was everyone in the whole country who missed the equalising goal from Marseille because of uh, a power cut inside the uh, Stade Louis II. So the uh, the pictures were were missed, and uh, the only images were from some kind of like surveillance camera almost at half time when people finally saw the goal. But that apart. Um, an incredible game. I mean, I was commentating a game and, and I, maybe this is a bit too far, but I made the point that towards the end of the game that when you think back in the last 10 years in Ligue 1, I'm not sure there have been too many better games in terms of excitement, in terms of madness. Um, and you think back to that 5-5 game between Lyon and Marseille, which is nearly 10 years ago now, November 2009. And I think, you know, I'm not saying it's quite on the same level as that, but it was a tremendous game. Monaco 2-0 up, 4-2 down. 
At that point, you thought they were completely dead and buried. They get a goal back from Keita Balde, one of the forgotten men who's come back this summer. And, and they weren't far away from getting an equalising goal. But I think Marseille, uh, on the whole, probably deserved the win because they were slightly less shambolic at the back. And um, despite losing Florian Thauvin to injury until after the winter break, which is a monumental blow, he scored 53 goals in the league in the last three seasons. He scored four goals last night. Benedetto is looking the piece. Four goals in his last three games. Payet scored a goal from outside the box. Long time since we've seen that. Can you can, can you just confirm, Andy, Valajerman, he, he actually did score because he's, he, he's yeah. claiming it. Nobody saw it, but uh, apart from the, the people at the Stade Louis Deux and, of course, our commentator, Andy Scott, he did score, did he? He definitely scored. He definitely scored a goal and uh, his second goal this season, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think Armel's looking at me like I'm some kind of madman. But uh, a player who needs goals and uh, he got the goal after Benedetto hit the crossbar just before it. So Benedetto playing a really big part in that victory a good result for Marseille, three straight wins for them. They're looking up. I'm not saying this is going to carry on forever, but they're looking up. They've got some winnable games to come. I think the main talking point here really is, is Monaco. Yes, we will talk about Monaco. They had as many, uh, as many technical issues as the, uh, the television station did during that game. But Marseille, like, like you say, it is three wins in a row. They had a shaky start under Andre Villas-Boas. Uh, we had Armel uh, criticising Dario Benedetto for his... Uh, Questioning. His- Questioning. Mm. For, his, Questioning. for his poor performance was it against Nantes, I think, yep. in the nil-nil draw. Yep. But three wins in a row, four goals in three for, for Benedetto. Um, Robbie, Villas-Boas speaks good French. He's it got does. good... It does help. It shouldn't be well, underrated. It does we'll, help. We'll talk about Silvino later at Lyon because people I, are saying... I was oh, just about to, to make the, the connection. I can't do that now. I have to wait. Tell I'll me about, anyway. about Villas-Boas and Marseille because they're up to 10 points. They're joint second and, uh, and you know, they're looking... Well, I think we said right at the start of the season in the first pod, we said that this Marseille squad is good enough to feature. And there were question marks about how they'd recover from last season, how they would settle under Villas-Boas. And we've seen that after two difficult matches, they're starting to hit their stride. I mean, they're up, they're up in the mix now. They're, they're one of the sides there. And it is always going to take a new coach who arrives not only in a, in a new sh- championship takes time to put in place what he wants. Can I, can I just say quickly, Robbie, that I, I think you're just about right, but I wouldn't say they've got the squad. I think they've got a team on paper. Mm, a team, yes. Yeah, yeah, not now, necessarily on the bench. Tobin, but there's no depth in that squad at all. You look at the, the second half as it went on last night, there was not really anybody for Andre Villas-Boas to bring on. Valentin Rongier came Valentin Rongier came on, but yes, but mm. you know, there's no depth to that bench. But whatsoever. Monaco won the league. Three three years ago now with depth. only twelve players or eleven players. But I think I think uh, L'Equipe made a really interesting comparison yesterday between the two squads of Marseille and Monaco. Monaco have seventy-two players under contract, nineteen of whom only nineteen of whom are out on loan. Marseille have about twenty-six. They're following the uh, Italian model. So they, they haven't got a huge number of players compared to Monaco. They've got a good first eleven, and if they can keep them fit, and they've got a coach with with a track record of success despite his problems in England you know there's no reason why they can't compete for a top 3 finish yeah but 26 players on on in your squad is a good a good sized professional squad and Marseille have a, a fairly good reputation in the last couple of years for for kids coming through as well like Cameron I think there are a couple of, of good kids coming through that may get their chance sooner or later I got a question for you Armel after the game Valer Germain uh, said We've got a good win tonight and we've got a win against a team that is going to finish among the top places, obviously referring to his <laughs> former club, Monaco. You know, you look at Monaco on paper, they have a team that should be top five, probably top three. Would you agree with that? And, and do you think Jardim is going to be able to, to, to get the best out of them? 
with every passing week, it's becoming more and more confusing, really, at Monaco. Um, more and more difficult. Difficult, well. of, of yeah. course, yeah, because while they're not picking up results, and there's a worrying trend in the past three games they've played at least, which is taking the lead, looking like they're going to finally break this run of poor form and then just giving way, basically. They were 2-0 up against Nîmes uh, four weeks ago. They took the lead twice in Strasbourg before the international break and then 2-0 up against... Marseille, they've got a brilliant front line. We were talking about the size of their squad earlier. Well, they only had five defenders in their squad last night ahead of kickoff. Some, there's something strange going on in that defensive line. Bakayoko making his uh, debut and his, on his return didn't seem to add much cover for the defence. That's uh, another thing. They've had matches. And the first match I commented, they had no midfielders. So it seems to, at the moment, it's one of those, like the Thierry Henry curse of having all your players out injured. They've mm. had players suspended, well, we're they've had back, players yeah. coming back we're from We're going to come back to Thierry Henry and It say, all has to settle down. Well, you know, there, there's clearly a bigger problem at Monaco than, than the coach because Jardim has come in. It's one win in 14 now for Monaco, if we go back to last year. Producer Ian tells me it's the first time Monaco have blown a two-goal lead since 2008, which is a, an incredible statistic. It's it's worrying. We're, you're, we're at home. That is at home. Is it okay? We we, we are an interactive podcast, by the way, Andy. I, I know you're, you're you're keen to to, to butt in as ever, but this is uh, Le Bourgeois. You can contact us uh, on Twitter with the hashtag Le Bourgeois. We've had some questions about Monaco, notably from uh, a chap or or a lady named Emery is not good enough for Arsenal, and he or she is is asking us um, what is wrong with uh, with Monaco and can Jardim turn it around. How long will he be given? Armand Khan also on, on Twitter has asked uh, a similar question. Robbie or Andy, you wanted to talk. Uh, Jardim, I mean, is, is he still the man for the job? Are the problems bigger at Monaco? I was just going to say that the, uh, the statistic about them blowing a two-goal lead for the first time at home since 2008, when they, they blew a two-goal lead at home against Nîmes in the previous home game. Um, so this is, this is something they've been doing uh, frequently. Maybe that was to, uh, losing a game from 2-0 up at home. But, you know, they've the, the main issue would appear to be a defensive one. They brought in um, Mari Pan from Alaves and he was playing with Camille Glick, who's the one survivor of that Monaco team mm. from not just from the mm. title winning season, from the, promotion. from the season before last. He's oh, the no, only player in that team last and night who dreadful. played in that no, team I mean, and, and he's really struggling. Monaco have conceded 14 goals in their first five games. Uh, Leonardo Jardim is a coach with, uh, with, with a track record for having good uh, defences, defensive records. In his first season at Monaco, 2014-15, You'll recall when they got to the last eight of the Champions League with Berbatov and, and Carvalho and the likes of Carvalho, who was sitting on the Marseille bench last night as an assistant. They conceded 26 goals in the whole season. They've <laughs> already conceded 14 this season. If they carry on like this, they'll concede more than 100 over the course of the season. So there are major issues at the back. Fode Balotouré was dreadful at left-back last night. I'm not sure how they correct that because Jardim just has to keep working with the players he's got and tries to find a solution. They can't. Uh, for want of a better phrase, pull the trigger on another coach at this stage with the transfer window having just closed. So they need to give him some time, but it is really, really concerning. It looks like there's going to be another big spend in January like it was last season. If They've, they've made a worse start to the current campaign than they did spending. last time around. No, they've just spending. done it again I mean, in the summer as well. So many players. How, ma- yeah. how many Ligue 1 teams you know, would love an attack mm. of Ben Yedda, Slimani, Augustin, uh, Jelson Martins? Help me out. Pellegrini, as well. Jovetic. was good last night, but they, their attack is good. Their Balde's attack is come good. Back. Yeah. Balde, yeah. It's, it's, uh, not, it's yeah. not just the defenders, though. You can't ever just point the finger at the defenders as well. They've brought in a new goalkeeper who's, who's got to play his role as well in being in Benjamin Leconte, who everyone has always said is a great goalkeeper with huge potential. 
he has to play a role in helping the defence settle as well. Kamel Glick has been largely criticised over the last 18 months in, in France for just being slow and everything. He's still a very experienced player with huge experience in Italy where you really learn to be a leader at the back. And the midfield has to help them out. And perhaps there is the problem. Did, did anyone see Cesc Fabregas last night? No, exactly. Was he? But he's just missed three matches with suspension as well. well so, yeah, and you know, at his age necessarily coming back. But he, he, is, he is a shadow of the player he once was. And that was the case towards the end of his time at Chelsea as well, wasn't it? And I, I think it's really worrying. I mean, Fabregas was an absolutely brilliant midfielder. And he just was not. But does he not need? Night. Does he not need some legs either side of him? I mean, he's a guy who perhaps, if he's got the runners in midfield, could could back a Yoko uh, become that. Interestingly, the uh, the the commentator, I won't name him, he kept uh, calling the Monaco goalkeeper Sebastian Leconte yesterday. He was so unrecognisable from the from the true Benjamin Leconte that we saw. Perhaps that was uh, that was one of the reasons. It was a, a, a cracking game. I do remember very well the five five between Lyon and Marseille back in two thousand and nine ten. Um, Mondonda and Loris were, were were both in goal. It was before the World Cup in 2010. Two France uh, internationals, and they were absolutely disastrous. Any just before we move on, any um, any uh, suggestions for a better game between 2009 and uh, and last night's game? I, I do actually have one, and that was uh, I can't remember who won it, but it finished five four. It was between Lille and Bordeaux in about 2012, just after Lille won the league. I can't remember who won it, but it was a brilliant game when Eden Hazard was still playing for Lille. Mm. And that's the one that, that comes to my mind. This, this is 25 goals in the last five visits to Monaco for Marseille. This is a classic of the... Sorry, it's not really answering your question, but it, it really is a great <laughs> fixture now. Well, Armel, we could chat forever, but uh, we're not going to. Maybe we'll 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 take that up. We'll take <laughs> that one up after when we have a nice lunch. Uh, it's sunny in Paris, but uh, it was fraught, a little bit fraught at the Parc des Princes on uh, on Saturday. Robbie, Armel, and uh, Andy were all at the Parc des Princes to witness Neymar's first uh, appearance of the season. It was, like I say, tense. It was close against Strasbourg. Armel. Tangi was the commentator. Well, we just heard there Neymar Jr.'s name being announced across the Tannoys, and it wasn't exactly the warmest reception. First set piece for Neymar then over on the far side. PSG after losing in red in week two. About to be held to a goalless draw by Strasbourg at home in week five, unless Unless Neymar, Icardi, Di Maria or indeed anyone else in white can do anything about it. Diallo's ball for Neymar. Oh, he's done it. The Parc de Prince rises to its feet. It's Neymar with the goal. So, Armel, incredible drama and... Uh, Perhaps a, an inevitability about how, how it ended. Adrian Thomason, the Strasbourg player, said afterwards it felt like the script had been written, even though Strasbourg were just seconds away from, from, from getting a point. Now, we'll talk about the game. We'll talk about the treatment that, that Neymar got. He was booed quite considerably when the names were, were when the lineups were called out before the game. He, his passes were booed. We had the Otoy stand chanting Cavani's name. I'll just give you um, a little. Uh, a little glimpse of the atmosphere with the, the banners that were held up. One said, Neymar, senior, sell your son to Villa Mimosas, which uh, is a place apparently in Rio. In Rio. Um, bit of a dodgy... Place best uh, avoided in Rio by all accounts. Another one, your name on the Eiffel Tower, millions in the bank, nights out with free drinks, welcome to hell, Calimero. 
Um, What's Calimero? Calimero, I believe, is a um, is an Italian cartoon character who's very unlucky. He's always crying and, about. And yeah, and I, exactly. And I think the point. I think it was an ironic point about how mm. bad Neymar's life must be. And the last one, 20 million euros to play with Messi. We don't want prostitutes at PSG. Armel Tanguy, was the atmosphere that hostile on Saturday? Honestly, no. I mean, he did get whistled a, a, a few times by by the fans, but all in all, it wasn't wasn't that bad. I think I could deal with that no, if I was I, playing at a stadium. It's, but it's, it's, it's never nice when it's your own fans. That's the thing. The last time I remember... I mean, I was there at the PSG Marseille game where Fabrice Fiorez and Frédéric Deu came back to the, the Parc des Princes as Marseille players. And there, the atmosphere was incredible. The hatred, the, the, the passion, everything. They, it was incredible, the, the feeling. And there you felt, really, you were witnessing something special. I was worried that it was... Well, not worried. I was curious to see just how bad the reaction was going to be the the only time it, it was I s- just the ultras really behind each goal and the rest of the stadium i think almost felt sorry for neymar after five minutes of the match the the only time i really felt it might have been a little bit difficult for neymar was when he was taking corners in front of the auto mm. stand then the noise did rise and you can see perhaps he's a little bit tentative going over to take it but i mean when you're out on the pitch well i've never played at the parc des princes but when you're out on the pitch you're playing no-look passes every time you've got the ball. You're not going to see these banners anyway. So, I No, mean, but the, the thing f- is, guys, I, I, I feel these supporters are, are justified. That's my opinion as a football fan. I'm not a Paris Saint-Germain fan, but I think Neymar, the way that he's behaved has obviously not been... You know, he's done everything possible to get a move to Barcelona. It hasn't happened. Now, I don't think he's helped himself by basically not speaking, not saying anything to the supporters. Even after the game, he came out, he spoke... To, to journalists, he talked about how, you know, it was difficult. He said, I'm disappointed. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be like playing an away game every weekend for me. He was asked, do you have a message to the supporters? No, not at all. You know, and, and I think the supporters deserve a message. You know, I'm not saying he has to apologise, but I think mm. the, the communication's not been good. Uh, yeah, I, I would fully agree with that. I mean, um, when I mean, I actually also disagree with with Armel and Robbie. I actually think it was quite a poisonous atmosphere. The, I've, I've seen I've seen worse at the Parc des Princes mm. in the last ten, eleven years. Well, you're talking about the but buffet now in the press stand. I'm, I'm not I'm not saying what I'm referring to, but 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 yeah, I mean, it it was it was when you think about the fact that they are doing that to one of their own players, it really is maybe not unprecedented, but it's certainly unusual. And I was sitting in between uh, a group of Brazilian journalists who were explaining to us exactly what the Vila Mimosa was, mm. helpfully. And to my right, um, a French colleague of mine. And I, I turned to him and I said, very early in the game, when they were whistling and jeering and insulting him, I said, this guy has got to come out and say something. Now, you could say... But he hasn't said anything. Speak, actions speak louder than words. And that mm. goal he scored at the end of the game, which we'll probably come to in a second, was absolutely... Brilliant, and and you know he might if he keeps doing that, it doesn't matter what he says. But then he, I was in the mix zone after the game, and again he was speaking in Portuguese to, to a handful of Brazilian journalists. I have to say that he spoke very well. He spoke for five six minutes just to them. He'd already spoken to television as well. He 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 went into some depth about the situation. He he admitted I wanted to leave, but it, they wouldn't let me. Is what he said. Mm-hmm. Um, he said every game now is going to be like an away game for me. And I mean, he's quite softly spoken, Neymar. You know, he's not. Yeah, but he's, Andy, he's, if if and you admit that you, you you've tried to leave, you've done everything to yeah. leave, the home fans, you're no longer a Paris Saint Germain no, player no, no, for no, them, I'm, and that's I'm, the whole I'm, point. I, that's I, why they're I agree, whistling. I agree with Matt. I agree with with what you're saying. 
I'm not saying that they're wrong to have a go at him by, by any means. I'm just saying that I, I found it quite striking, the response to him. I quite, found it quite striking, his response to them in terms of the goal he scored and the way he spoke after the game. And I just thought to myself, this is it. This is Neymar. This is incredible. You know, this story just never ends. And surely it wouldn't have hurt for him just to say, do you have a message for the fans? Just to say, uh, listen, I'm a PSG player today and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight and I'm going to try very hard to win trophies for this football club. And, uh, and I hope our relationship will improve. I mean, you know, he doesn't have to apologise because he obviously feels he, he, he hasn't done anything wrong. Um, it's going to be difficult. You know, the Champions League uh, restarts a game against Real Madrid and he is going to be the, the focus of everyone's attention again. For me, the, the thing about this whole thing that's been going now, the whole Neymar circus at Paris Saint-Germain, particularly over the last summer, is the fact that we've sort of lifted off the cover and seeing what really is a professional footballer and a professional club and the whole business side of things now. Here you have a, a, a player who wants to leave. He freely admits, I wanted to leave. I'm not happy here, he said after the match. For personal reasons, I don't feel good playing here. I wanted to leave. They didn't let me. So now I have to do my best for Paris Saint-Germain. Fine. It's his job. He's being paid to do this. He's being paid very well. He's trained. He, he works hard. But if that's removing the whole nostalgic, the whole supporters, all this thing that attracts so many people around the world to football is the, the romance of it. And when you remove all of that from the equation, you're left with these, these mercenary footballers who say, I'm here, I have to play here, I don't want to play here, but I will, I'll do my best. And the supporters do not accept that. And that's why football is the biggest sport in the world. Uh, it, it just um, on what, Diego Maradona, when he played for Napoli, uh, there's a mm. film about Maradona's time at Napoli out recently where um, he, he speaks on the pitch at the end of the UEFA Cup final in 1989. Mm, exactly. He says, I want to leave. And he says, I want to leave. And when I was watching that film, I thought to myself, that the modern version of Maradona is Neymar. Not necessarily, not, I'm not saying that he's the best player in the world because lots of people will come in and say it's Ronaldo, it's Messi. Mm. But just in terms of everything that goes it's around Messi, it. It's Messi, Andy, it's Messi. It's Maradona. It's Granit Xhaka, man. Um, <laughs> but you know, the, with everything that goes around it, his, his, the, the football, the soap opera around Neymar's life is a bit like Maradona's was a quarter of a century ago. And Maradona at the time said, I want to leave. Neymar has said he wants to leave. He, he did say on Saturday, they didn't let me leave. Now, you mm. can interpret that in different ways. I just heard at the time and thought to myself what he's saying is that PSG wouldn't accept Barcelona's bid and that was it they wouldn't let him go but there may be something deeper to that I don't know but nevertheless you know Neymar's the, the story of Neymar at Paris Saint-Germain is very 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 troubling for PSG in many ways they have to somehow get over this but he still showed on the pitch what an incredibly good player he is. I mean, that goal that he scored was just ridiculous. I, I did want to say, because it, it reminded me of uh, the sort of left-footed volleys that you produced, Robbie, when we played up at La Courneuve, when we played for that expat mm -hmm. team. I mean, you know, you were a bit younger back then, but, uh, you know, the, 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 the technical um, excellence to be able to do that. Talk us through it, Rob. Well, the, the, <laughs> on the about spot. the goals I used to score, no, that was... Well, it was, it was just a brilliant goal. It's his weaker foot as well. I mean, there's not much to say about the, the goal. It's just a pure moment of, of inspiration. What I thought watching it, I, I was up there in the, the press box and I'd been watching and I jumped out of my chair and, and, and shouted just because... Impartial as ever. Well, it was box. a beautiful goal. It was a beautiful goal. And I, I didn't actually know who had scored it. It was 92nd minute. We'd been banging on this shut door. Strasbourg are always so hard to break down. And the goal, it was one of those moments where I'm pleased mm. it still happens. And then when, you, when you saw who it was, did, jump you, out, did you start then, booing? <laughs> well, when I saw who it was, then I, then I, 
Then I, I sat down to see just what the reaction would be. And but the ultras doubled their, their whistling and jeering. Uh, both sides on each side of the pitch were, were, were applauding and, and everything. But it, it doesn't matter. That, the, the beauty of the scenario was incredible. And it's just only a player like Neymar can, can, can create that. To- but what I did think, and just Matt, we have a, an old French journalist friend called Joachim Barbier, who's not old, but he's an old mate of ours. <laughs> um, and he wrote a book a few years ago, probably about 10 years ago, called This Country That Doesn't Like Football. And it was, it's about football in France and how hard it is to accept all the extra romantic notions of football in France and just let yourself go and be a passionate fan. And he gives one example of being a football fan is, is getting up at four o'clock in the morning with your mates, jumping in a, a minivan, in pouring rain, driving across France from Sochaux all the way to Brest in the second division, in pouring rain, watching a terrible match of football, and then in the 93rd minute, seeing goal of the season, all jumping back in your minivan, half drunk, heading back all the way back across and to work the next day. And it's that beauty of football and the the match. You know, the match was not a great match between Paris Saint-Germain and Strasbourg, but the story and the drama of it was incredible. And the goal is... It's a superb goal, and that's why we all watch football and why you can't just watch the highlights. If you just watch a highlight of the match, you think, well, this was Neymar being whistled, and then the goal. I had, it wasn't. Yeah, it's I a had, whole 90 I had a nightmare because I was preparing to, to commentate Bordeaux against Mets, and I was just following the end of the, you know, I was on Twitter just seeing, seeing if PSG were, had, had been held. And the only tweet, well, the first tweet I saw was Andy Scott saying, wouldn't you just believe it or something? And then I was refreshing my, and it wouldn't refresh. So I was like, what? You can't tweet that, Andy. It's so annoying. Twitter, Twitter I was like, meltdown. What, have, have Strasbourg got a winner? Labo Motiba with the winner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So anyway, I, I did eventually find out that Neymar had scored. But Andy, a bit more information in, in your tweets next time. Just a, a word about um, the game and in particular the, the other new boys. Well, Neymar's not, not a new boy, is he? But we saw Kaylor Navas mm. make his uh, league on debut. We saw Maro Icardi for about 25 minutes, uh, came on for Chupo Moting. And Herrera got his well, first yeah. league on start. And Herrera as well, oh, back from injury game. now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Navas, I uh, have seen the highlights. Uh, one outstanding save to deny uh, Ludovic Ajok. Two, in my two, opinion. Two, two, two to deny Ajok. Yeah. yeah, they weren't good highlights that I saw. But um, <laughs> would you say it was very positive as well in terms of his presence, his communication with the defence? Yeah, I think we saw a defence that showed confidence in their goalkeeper, which perhaps I, I haven't seen quite as much in the past few years with PSG. Obviously, that's an opinion that will divide because people do like Ariola in Paris, but he certainly made an impression on his first appearance for, for Paris Saint-Germain. No, there were two, two fantastic saves. There's no doubt about that. But it was a third clean sheet in a row at home, I think, or for, for Paris. Mm. That means the first two were Alphonse Areola as well, which, yeah. you know, and I'm sure everyone, of course, we were all going to have the, the comparison. If he'd made a mistake, it would have gone a million miles the other direction. Here, Navas made two superb saves. Look, there was no Marquinhos in defence. Uh, was that is that an element as well, or you know, I mean, speaking of the defence, one new boy that I was impressed with was Abdou Diallo, who was good. moved out mm. to left back when uh, Kazawa was taken off in the second half, slotted into that position perfectly. That's why Tuchel bought, well, wanted mm. to bring in Abdou Diallo because of his versatility, and he was brilliant as soon as he moved to left back. Not an easy thing to do in the middle of a game, provided the cross for Neymar's goal. So that's a positive that he's doing his role. Paris did, score. Paris did get the win with that Neymar goal when playing with only 10 men because about 10 minutes earlier, mm. Colin Dagba had gone off injured. They'd already made all their 
substitutions yeah. as well. So another reason to, to be positive with the result for, Robbie, for PSG. Paris Saint-Germain are, are top of the league. They've got 12 points from, uh, from five games. Uh, last season's runners-up, Lille, are also back in the mix. They have suffered a couple of uh, defeats, but they won their third straight uh, home match on Friday night, beating Angers uh, 2-1. And uh, the Nigerian international, Victor Ossiman, got his fifth goal of the season. Luis Araujo also scored, but uh, Ossiman doing fantastically well. Lille are in action in the Champions League away to Ajax uh, on Tuesday night. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain play at home against Real Madrid on Wednesday night. The other uh, Champions League uh, participant in France is Lyon, and they didn't have the uh, the best of uh, of preparations or warm-ups, if you like, for their game against Zenit St. Petersburg. They played away to Amiens, and Robbie Thompson commentated the game. In it comes. It's a good ball. Oh, and it's in the back of the net. An early goal conceded by Olympic Lyonnais. Chalet's given it away this time with Ren Adelaide. Oh, through. Slicing through into the area. Oh, and almost a fantastic save, but Moussa Dembele has equalised for Lyon. The cross in is an excellent one. Oh, how about that? Bertrand Traore with an absolutely fantastic cross. Met by Dembele. Chip back in towards Girassi. The header by Soleil. Back in, Bodmer! Oh, he scored! Mathieu Bodmer! Well, thank you, Robbie. Super commentary, uh, as ever, from you. You're listening to Le Bourgeois podcast. You can uh, get us with the hashtag on Twitter, hashtag Le Bourgeois, or send us an email at uh, ligueunpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, Robbie, it's three games uh, without a win now for Lyon. They were playing lowly Amiens. They were 2-1 up, but just seemed to... To lose the way a little bit in the second half. It was. It was. They didn't come out for the second half at all. It was a really strange start to the match. Though Amiens started very well. The goal was a little bit lucky from Christophe Jallet, but perhaps it should have been defended better. And it's one of those difficult ones where it's not easy for Anthony Lopez. The free kick from a long way out curls all the way in and just inside bounces inside the far post. So not. I did point the finger a little bit at him, but it's probably not entirely fair. It should have been dealt with by the defence. But then after that goal. Moussa Dembele equalised almost immediately after a lovely run from Ren Adelaide, as uh, Andy <laughs> likes to uh, say correctly, by the way. And then they had a number of chances. They had Awa should have scored, Martin Terrier should have scored. Dembele then got his second 10 minutes before half time, and there they could easily have been two or three goals to the good at half time. And then, second half, Amiens didn't, didn't have a lot of chances. Lopez didn't really have to make a save, but. Leon were just not in the game. They and it was hard to point out really where or how. There was good pressure coming up front from from Girassi and the, the Amiens were trying to pressure high up the pitch, but they didn't create any chances. Leon just looked as though they were coasting and really they were punished in in stoppage time by Mathieu Bodmer's goal and yep. and deservedly so. Leon uh, fans Robbie seem to be very concerned about uh, the tactics or lack of that that Silvino is uh, is putting in place. It, it's early days for him. He's not but yet we were, mastered the we were French all language. Lauding his tactics yeah. after the first two matches, yeah, saying exactly. it's incredible. Exactly. So this exactly. is Leon are going to win the title. So you know. I'm not jumping on the bandwagon. But this Good. morning I, I did have the the pleasure of uh, bumping into Gerard Houllier, who is uh, an advisor to the club president Jean Michel Aulas. Gerard Houllier, the former the former Leon manager, and I asked him. Uh, what he thought about uh, about the season so far? Let's let's hear our chat now. 
mixed feelings really because um, they started extremely well against Monaco and Angers uh, they seem to stutter a bit I would say uh, which is normal it's a new team with a new staff and uh, they've got to fit in each other and they've got to uh, practically get the, the right tempo of the league Tunino is a very intelligent person uh, a great man with uh, uh, fantastic human qualities he knows football uh, inside out and uh, I think he'll, uh, he'll make a, a wonderful um, sporting director for the club for a long time um, and he picks Silvino who's got personality so all you need is to give them time to, to adapt to know the you know the league at one uh, well and um, and be able to cope with the adversity that is going through at the moment Gerard Houllier feels that uh, they have the players and they have uh, uh, an outstanding sporting director or perhaps uh, an outstanding sporting director in the making he thinks Silvino needs time but Armel it was uh, it was a bit of a a chastening uh, result not just the 2-2 with Amiens but the fact that Two old boys score. Christophe Jallet, who's, who's had a fantastic start at Amiens, 35 years of age, scored Amiens' first goal, set up the, uh, the, uh, the second one. It's a massive week coming up for Lyon, Armel. And, uh, you know, they've got Zenit St. Petersburg on Tuesday, PSG uh, on Sunday. Are you, are you worried for them? No. I think they can go, if they can go from winning 6-0 to, you know, very average results, losing to Montpellier, drawing with Bordeaux and drawing with Amiens. They can flip it around in no time. I think they'll smash four past Senate and then beat Paris as they do every year at home. No problem. Every I mean, year. It's been, yeah, the last two years, they have beaten PSG at home. You, d- you said that so matter-of-factly, Armel, that I can't tell if you're joking or not. No, well, I'm not. No, <laughs> it's going to happen. <laughs> they've got Memphis Depay coming back. He uh, he was left on the bench following his exertions with the uh, with the Dutch national team. So, you know, he'll be back and I'm sure he'll play in uh, in those two matches but who comes out is it Terrier that that sits that's the obvious one mm. and he did miss a, a few chances but we saw Dembele against Bordeaux was not happy at being left out and stormed off to the changing room when he realized he wasn't going to play at all against Bordeaux after the three subs had been made that's a it's a little flare point there trying to because you've got some big egos there Bertrand Traore is a great team player. It's easier and to get a terrier to sit, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. t- uh, exactly. And, and you would have thought once Fekir had gone that there was a little Take bit. Take an armour, more than thirty minutes easier. to get his first pun in. It's a bit. Yes, that's well, true. we've been talking about PSG. Robbie hasn't let me get any word in. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, the Gerard Houllier interview is uh, is available to uh, to download. It's uh, a nice, uh, quick chat, but a nice chat that you can go onto Deezer, Spotify, all, all the platforms. Um, uh, just look up Le Beau Jeu, the official league and podcast. We've got another interview coming up as well with Fabio, the, the Brazilian um, at Nantes. Armel had the pleasure of meeting Fabio, the former Manchester United fullback, and uh, Christian Gorkouf as well. Now, Nantes were in action against Reims at the weekend, and, uh, and they did rather well. They got another win. Ian Holyman saw it. Power. Koulibaly does enough. Loser. Koulibaly and still Koulibaly! His persistence pays off and Nantes finally make the breakthrough. Well, I have enjoyed the, uh, the way Christian Gourcouf has, uh, has uh, progressed or helped this Nantes team to, to progress. He, he joined the club, didn't he, Armel, just a, a couple of days before the season. Didn't have a, a pre-season. They got off to a slightly shaky start, but uh, they've got three victories now. They're up to, to third in the league, just two points behind PSG. 
And you can see, I mean, I, I commentated their game uh, against, it was so good, I Montpellier. forgot, against Montpellier, the 1-0 win. And you, you can see the work that Gorkouf has done. And I enjoy commentating teams where you can see that they've got the imprint of their coach, the, you know, the organisation of, of, of their pressing game, the way that they are able to spring forward. And, uh, you know, you, you, you spoke to Christian Gorkouf Armel and uh, uh, you, uh, you, you had a pretty positive impression as well from him. Definitely, and I think the one thing that he's got across, which is why he's been able to get his team playing the one, the way he wants to so quickly, is he's been letting them play a lot of football at training rather than doing physical activities, which Fabio said was more the case under Vaid Halilhozic, his predecessor. So the fact that he's given them touches of the ball at training has allowed them to enjoy training more and therefore they're more receptive to his tactics. And I mean... You can't really say that he was in charge for the 2-1 defeat on the opening day at Lille. He took over three days before, which means that under his tactical regime, they've actually only conceded one goal. It's a very promising start, considering they lost their captain and pretty much best player, Valentin Rangier, as well. Just to give a bit of background, Nantes are a huge team in France. They won eight league titles. They haven't won the title since since 2001, but they left a huge uh, impact on a lot of a lot of football fans and also coaches starting in the 60s and 70s with Jose Arribas and they've had some wonderful coaches and uh, they put in place Le Jeu à la Nantes which was uh, some regard as a precursor to, to, to Pep Guardiola's uh, Barcelona. It was very much a, a, a collective game, uh, tiki-taka if you like, but you know, passing and moving and if you find on YouTube some of the goals they scored in the, in the 80s and 90s when Jean-Claude Suodo and Reynold Denewex came, you know, it, it, they, they, are, they were one of France's great teams. And Christian Gorkouf spoke to Armel very, uh, very well and in depth about the inspiration he, he got from that. Now, we're not going to see Le Jeu à la Nantes. We're not going to see like incredible flamboyant football, certainly not, not this season. But he's got an organisation in place. And uh, he's got a striker in Khalifa Koulibaly who, who, who scored the winning goal, who looks like, you know, he can lead the line. He can score goals. Andy, I know you're, a, you're an African football enthusiast. Uh, what do you... What do you think of Koulibaly? Uh, yeah, I'm quite impressed, really. I mean, he, he obviously became Nantes' uh, main striker in, in very difficult circumstances because when they, they, well, they sold Emiliano Sala, but obviously we know the tragic story of, of, of Sala after he left Nantes, and, and Koulibaly has, um, has, has grown into that position. I say grown in, into that position. He's, he's a big lad. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, he's, I mean, he did very well, uh, he did very well in, in Belgian football. A lot of players move between France and Belgium, and, and, and there's, there's a step up in level there. But he's he's done pretty well, and and he's he's maybe not somebody who's going to get you more than say ten goals in a season. But uh, but he offers them something. I just wonder how they're going to get on in the long term, having sold uh, Valentin Rangier to to Marseille because he was obviously a very important player for them, and and that deal went through after the transfer window shut, so they were not able to to replace him, as it were. I think they wanted to sign a player from Belgium, a guy called Adrian Trebel, to be the uh, to be the base of their midfield, and uh, it didn't quite work out for them. So. Um, yeah, I think in the long term, I'm not too sure how they're going to get on this season. But, you know, top half finish has to be well within their capabilities. Well, let's hear from, uh, from our, our special guest, Fabio De Silva. Uh, you probably do remember Fabio from his time with Manchester United. He went on to play for Middlesbrough, among, among other clubs. And his twin brother, Rafael De Silva, plays, plays with Lyon. So we're delighted to have the two De Silva uh, twins in France. And Fabio, he's, he, he's doing well. Certainly in that game I commentated uh, against Montpellier, he was outstanding at right back. And uh, he is, yeah, he's enjoying life under the new boss, Christian Gorkouf. 
I love it. I love it to be honest. Uh, I love the way uh, his 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 mentality to play football uh, with the ball, with possession. But uh, of course, uh, don't forget about the fans, hard and and uh, organ uh, organized. So and really, really good. Well, interesting stuff from uh, from Fabio, who's uh, already had a distinguished career. And uh, Armel just uh, just nudged me and said, uh, Fabio started for Manchester United in the 2011 Champions League final. Uh, a defeat by Barcelona, but he is, he's a player um, of pedigree and with quite some experience. And uh, that helps us um, move on to our, to our next chat, which is about the Champions League, because we've got three French clubs uh, in action, as I, as I mentioned to you. I'm particularly looking forward to Ajax against Lille, because I think these are two teams that have had uh, a lot of changes. Um, Ajax uh, semi-finalists, of course, uh, last season. They'll start as favourites at home. But uh, I quite like the look of this, uh, this Lille side. Of course, they're missing Nicola Pepe, Rafael Leao, Thiago Mendes. But, you know, they, they've, they've, they've bought good players. I've, you know, do you think, Andy, do you think they've got a chance of, of getting something? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure about the game in Amsterdam itself. But I think it's really interesting because a lot of people are looking at this group and probably saying, ah, oh, Lille, you know, they're the, not quite the whipping boys, but likely to finish bottom. Um, because they see that Lille have sold Nicola Pepe and, and they maybe don't know who they've replaced them with. You could but, say they're the underdogs. Well, you could. You could. I'm not <laughs> going to. up the wrong tree. But um, I, think, I think a game away to Ajax is very difficult for them to start. But, um, you know, when Ian and, and producer Ian and I did a, a brief uh, Champions League preview pod after the draw was made and uh, sort of hot off the press when the draw was made. And at the time I thought, well, you know, Lille have got to have a chance here because Chelsea are in transition Ajax are not in transition, but obviously they've lost Frankie de Jong and Matthijs de Ligt, two of their standout players from last season. So, you know, certainly when they come back to, to northern France, you'd think that Lille might have a chance there. And Valencia are in complete meltdown. They've just sacked uh, Mar Marcelino prior to last weekend, the man who won them the Copa del Rey and got them into the Champions League last season. So I'm not sure about getting a result in Amsterdam, but I think they've, they've got to have a chance in this group. Well, Armel's already said earlier in the pod he fancies Leon to, to put four past Zenit St. Petersburg. I'm not quite sure how much you know, Armel, about Zenit St. Petersburg. But, Robbie, would, would you share that confidence? Uh, Leon, Leon at home, and it's a game they could do with winning. Yeah, well, I think the, there's a bit of pressure on them, isn't there, now? To, to, they have to respond. They have to find answers. I think Zenit is a, is a good opponent to, to bring in. I don't think there's anything that needs to, to worry Leon. The big question... Is and there's an interesting interview in the the Champions League weekly uh, magazine show, which has just come out ahead of this weekend's matches with uh, Janinho and Silvino talking about what they want to put in place. They have taken risks, not to go back and redo the coaching talk at, at Lyon as well. But as Gerard Houllier told you, Matt, they're you know they're it's a they're they're a coach that's going to probably become a good coach and a sporting director who's going to become a very good sporting director. But they have taken a couple of risks. I think in their squad, I think the players they've brought in uh, are good for Leon, And I think uh, we, I spoke about it last year as well. I'm a fan of Memphis Depay. And I think his, having been rested on the weekend, they're, they're big stage. He's a big stage player. He'll want to perform. He'll turn it on. They have to be a bit wary of Malcolm, though. No. no. He's, he's out. out. Yeah, I was going to he's say, the, the, oh. French, the French connection, Malcolm is injured, having gone to Zenit from Barcelona in the summer. The other French connection is the coach of Zenit. Do we all know who the coach of Zenit is? No. Sergei Semak. Oh, yes. Well, Robbie, I know who Robbie's, that is. Uh, yes, absolutely. picking up there. Hat-trick for CSK Moscow at the Parc des Princes against Paris Saint-Germain. I think it might be our last Champions League home defeat in the group stage back in 2004. 
Oh, Mel, I, re- I thought your prediction was founded on like serious and research and stuff. You, you've ruined well. that by saying that Malcolm's going to be a threat. I, I know nothing about Zenit St. Petersburg. <laughs> I follow Ligue 1, so it was based on fact and uh, inkling. Yeah. The big one, well, they're all big, but the really, really big one. Oh, that is a huge On match. Wednesday night, Paris Saint-Germain against Real Madrid. Um, they've had a few... Uh, sparrings in the in the last few years probably perhaps maybe a good time to play Real Madrid I know Andy you're you're very up on your Spanish football I know they they beat Levante didn't they at the weekend is it a good time Alfonso in goal for Real Uh, no it was Thibaut Courtois in goal Um, Alfonso Ariola didn't play Ferlon Mendy didn't play it was Marcelo who played at left back Uh, Karim Benzema played and was was absolutely brilliant I have to say he scored two goals uh, hit the post he was involved in the build up to the third goal scored by Casemiro uh, Real Madrid were 3-0 up and then and then were pulled back to 3-2. They are not the force they were a couple of years ago. It's pretty much still the same team um, that obviously won the Champions League three years in a row minus Ronaldo. Everyone, everyone else is pretty much still there. Yeah, sorry, Andy, this is a French football but one man, a quick, a quick ball. <laughs> one, man, one man who's come in is, of course, Eden Hazard, who came off the bench at the weekend and, and may well start in Paris. So that will be fascinating. A new Parisian Champions League campaign means we get to see the new Jordan warm-up tops. Oh, I can't wait. That's, that's going to be the but highlight of they will be playing in the new white shirt, this is, which by they the way, uh, played for the first time against, Stras- uh, against Strasbourg on Saturday. That will be the shirt that uh, Paris are wearing on Wednesday night. The important points being uh, <laughs> yeah. disgusting. By the way, this is the last time I'm sharing a microphone with, with, with Andy Scott. He looks like he wants to, to lamp me. I, the only kiss I'm getting is a Glasgow kiss. I think... Uh, from, from Andy Scott. Just a quick... Yeah. Are we, st- we haven't finished talking about Paris Saint-Germain versus Real Madrid. No, go, uh, Rob. Okay, just a quick aside then about Karim Benzema. Because, look, he has a very bad rap in France. The French football in public have no time for him whatsoever. Whatever you think about the, the man, about his off-field, whatever, all the stories that have happened to him, the way he, he carries himself now, he makes no... He seems to, from what I can see, completely unashamedly be more or less bling bling as the as the french would say he's got superb sports cars he's always on holiday in america he 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 doesn't mind showing off that he has a bit of coin on the football pitch he is a bit like yourself he is a superb a superb we don't quite share the same bank account numbers he is a superb footballer and has been for 10 Robbie, years is it one is incredible he, is he as good as two promoting and two just let us know who who's going to start up front for psg on on wednesday night super promoting is a very good footballer matt Let's not go back over all that again. The question was never, is he good enough to Robbie, play for Robbie, who's going to start he for PSG on Wednesday Saint-Germain. night? Well, there's no Neymar, obviously. He's suspended for the first three matches. Edinson Cavani was expected, hopefully, to be back for Saturday. The coach uh, told me on Friday morning that on Thursday training, they decided that it was too soon. We haven't heard anything more out of the, the Paris camp concerning Edinson Cavani. So will he be back or is the problem... Uh, more serious. Robbie, it's the last Don't time know. I'm asking you, who's starting up front for PSG on Wednesday night? Chupo. Chupo, Chupo. Wait, not Icardi? Mauro Icardi's only played 20 minutes now in, well, not only played 20 minutes, but he hasn't played 90 minutes since April. Mm. And it's, uh, this is a big match. But yeah, Icardi, of course, is, is the other option off the bench. We're going to end the pod in our traditional uh, fashion by looking ahead to next weekend. We're going to go on a bon voyage because it is still, it's still beautiful weather in France and there have been a few grève, a few strikes. I know we've all struggled a bit in the last few days with transport, but uh, the TGVs are up and running and there's, uh, there are some good games next weekend. Okay, so let's start with you, Robbie. 
Okay, well, I am off to uh, Group Armour Stadium where I'll be commentating on Sunday night. So I suggest we all go because it is uh, the huge match. We all remember what's happened the last two seasons when Paris have gone there as well. They've uh, struggled. Memphis has shone in, in matches there. Are you, are you commentating? Well. I am commentating. Are you sharing mics with Andy? I hope not. Leon have won, Robbie, but they've been brilliant matches. Absolutely Surely to brilliant. commentate, we can get it, it too much. Should, seriously, though, it should be absolutely fantastic. It I'm should be a fantastic coming. game. But coming. it all depends on what happens in midweek as well in the Champions League for both sides. But it is, it's a big, big league arm match. It's a big one on the calendar as always and one we're all looking forward to. Uh, just quickly for me, uh, I'll be in Rennes on Thursday for Rennes against Celtic and I'm looking forward to Rennes against Lille on Sunday as well. Good game between two sides who did so well last season and Benjamin Andre going back to Rennes. Mm. Interesting. So Armel, Leon for you? No, I think I might go to Angers. Uh, we were talking about great games of years past and Angers Saint-Étienne, well, it was the reverse fixture last season, I know Andy was in charge that day of commentary, but Saint-Étienne-Angers last season was an absolute blinder. It was a, a nutty game, so hoping they might reproduce that on Sunday afternoon. Thank you, chaps. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on Le Bourgeois podcast. We'll be back, of course, next week. Have a great week of French football action from me, Matt Spiro, and all of the team here. It's au revoir et à bientôt. Ciao, ciao. Ciao.